Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most of us, my brothers and sisters, have not been obliged to live through an event of catastrophic disaster that would oblige us to live differently the rest of our lives. We live in a fairly stable society. There are ups and downs. If there is a political disturbance, we can take care of it at the next election. But our way of life has never been destroyed or wiped out in a catastrophic way, obliging us to live in a completely different world in its aftermath. None of us has gone through what, say, the city of Rome went through in the year 410. That was the event that spawned the writing of the City of God by St. Augustine, because the event was so catastrophic when Alaric and his army sacked the city of Rome, which had stood impregnable and a center of empire for more than a thousand years. None of us lived through what the Jews went through some four centuries earlier when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. And the Jews would thenceforth for two millennia almost live as exiles spread throughout the rest of the world. Most of us have not gone through anything like the sacking of Constantinople. I mean, to look at that pitiful little thing called the Ecumenical Patriarchate right now, just to look at that and think of what it once was. It is now sort of like a, it has the membership of an average parish in the United States, <coughs> not much more. We have not gone through anything of that sort. But let me suggest to you that that is what is represented by the cross. It's a catastrophic event. Everything falls apart. That everything that went before has been destroyed. And a whole new era of history is ushered in. And one is going through that and wondering how to survive. Among the many dimensions of the mystery of the cross, one of the most practical, by that I mean existential, you experience it, one of the most practical is a deep sense of discontinuity. The cross is experienced as an existential break with the past. 
Now the theologian will tell you, and he's right, that it's not an essential break with the past. There's a continuity between the Testaments. But one experiences it as a radical break in the past. Now following both of our readings of scripture for the day, Galatians and Mark, let us consider three examples of what I'm calling this existential discontinuity of the cross. First, we look at St. Paul, who writes in today's epistle reading, If I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. If I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. I don't think I have ever until this past week <coughs> thought about what those words might mean. And the only reason I give them any thought today is because Tuesday morning Father Wilbur called me and he said, what do you think that means? <laughs> and Wilbur and I were on the phone for the next two hours, okay. making the first point of today's sermon. This enigmatic assertion is explained by the context. Paul is affirming that those who put their lives under the power of Jesus Christ and the victory of his cross must not return to what they were before. They must not go back and build again what they destroyed by embracing the cross. <clears throat> now this was the temptation proposed by those against whom Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians. Namely, those who insisted that Christians were obliged to observe the law given through Moses. It was the entire purpose of the epistle to the Galatians to answer those people. Paul writes in today's reading, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for most American Christians reading that, it's rather abstract. How should you be justified? And this epistle tells you how to be justified. But for most of us, we had never gone through the trauma conveyed in those words. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The person who hears those words for the first time, when he happens to turn on the wrong channel on the TV in his hotel room, okay. he's not trying to be justified by the works of the law, he's just having a good time. <laughs> he doesn't experience the trauma here of having spent one's whole life devoted to the law and then have it destroyed by the cross. For Paul's own life, the recognition of this truth produced a most profound experience of discontinuity. He speaks of it not only in Galatians, but also in Philippians. But what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. 
Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. What is that loss of all things? His whole life up to that point. His Rome is burned. His Jerusalem has been destroyed. His Constantinople has been laid waste. All these things I count as loss. I count them as rubbish <coughs> that I may gain Christ. Count the whole of his life as rubbish that he might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. What Paul describes as the loss of all things was everything that was dear to him, everything that gave meaning to his life prior to that point. In both Galatians and Philippians, and I've mentioned from time to time why I believe they were written very close together, but that's, and that's not easy to grab. There are at least three other people who hold that view. <laughs> In both Galatians and Philippians, Paul speaks of being seized by God. In Philippians, he says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold on me. In Galatians, he writes, It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. In Paul's conversion, an event that's referred to almost more than any other event in the New Testament, we discern a striking feature of the gospel. <coughs> it is this. Although the life of the gospel is the authentic continuation of the life revealed in the Old Testament and in Jewish history, it may be experienced as a most profound break. For this reason, St. Paul never once refers to himself as a perfected Jew. <coughs> that's a, a phrase that's been coined during the last century, I think, a perfected Jew. As though somehow the transition from being a Jew to a Christian is seamless. And I suppose there are people who experience it that way. But not Paul. On the contrary, he experienced his conversion as a profound break with the past. In many ways, as we see in his epistles, Paul spent the rest of his life coming to grips with that dramatic experience. That dramatic experience gave him the key to his own understanding of history. That experience is what explains the epistle to the Romans, especially the epistle to the Romans. Second this morning, let us look at the apostles who today hear the words of the cross 
for the first time. Jesus proposes the cross to these men as a radical break, not with the Old Testament, but with the world. Listen to what we heard already this morning. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. Is he just talking about martyrdom there? Is that just for martyrs? <coughs> no one else coming to Christ loses his life, gives up everything he had before, says goodbye to every value by which he has lived up to that point. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, the gospels will save him. Now if the most godly of Jews experienced the cross, cross as a profound break with his past, what shall we say about the selfish men like the apostles? and ourselves. For we have made a thousand compromises with the spirit of the world. This morning's reading is from the eighth chapter of Mark, which introduces the word of the cross. In the following chapters of Mark, those same apostles will be instructed in chapters 9 and 10. If anyone desires to be first, he should be last of all and servant of all. The teacher will tell them, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he will inquire of them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? You see, unlike the discontinuity between the Old Covenant and the Gospel, which was experienced by Paul, the break with the world is not just existential. It is real, it is metaphysical, it is radical. Because there is no continuity between the world and the cross. And thirdly, if we dare, if we dare, because this is hardest of all, most radically, let us speak of Jesus. Because no one knows the discontinuity of the gospel better than Jesus. For him, the cross represented his rejection by the very people whom God had prepared for nearly 2,000 years to receive him. The whole burden of the Hebrew scriptures and all of Israel's history up to that point was to receive him. And they rejected him. If the rabbi Paul was obliged to turn his back 
on his past. What shall we say of the Messiah as he hung on the cross under a sign that mocked him as the king of the Jews? The mind trembles to think of the dereliction of his soul in a sense of calamitous historic failure. It was over. It's all gone. Trusting only in God and weakly sustained by the loyalty of no more than a handful of friends, he, he died in disgrace and ignominy, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. In today's gospel, my beloved in Christ, our Lord begins to share with his disciples the drama that was about to befall him. It is understandable that they resist even the thought of it. Indeed, we're told Peter took him aside began to rebuke him. Let none of us pass judgment on Peter. For all of us are likewise weak. In the face of the cross, every soul is set a trembling. And yet the challenge is addressed to all of us equally. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take of his cross and follow me. Who among us, brothers and sisters, is so prepared, truly, for the shame that the world will heap upon the one perceived to live by the standard of the cross? But in the limited measure in which we are able, let us commit ourselves nonetheless to that dark call from the Lord. <clears throat>